Hello and welcome. This is Ukraine World Podcast. Ukraine World is a website and podcast which informs international community about the developments in Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko and I'm happy to have here Volodymyr Sheiko, who is Director General of Ukrainian Institute, uh, an institution affiliated with the Foreign Ministry and which is basically dealing with cultural diplomacy. Uh, so today we are talking about Ukrainian culture and why it is interesting for the world. World. Good afternoon, Volodymyr. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us. So Ukrainian culture, why is it interesting to the world? <laughs> A big question. Uh, to start with, let's define interesting because, um, you know, not to be self-indulgent, we Ukrainians might think uh, various different things about our own country and our own culture, which are not necessarily the same for international audiences. So um, I would I would um, split this question, um, I would say into two and 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 look at this and look at this question from um, from a perspective of a person who has less uh, who is less informed about the developments in Ukraine, who probably has never been to this country. Um, and uh, we as cultural diplomats, we uh, rather try to focus our activities on people uh, uh, who are, um, you know, who are less uh, knowledgeable about what's going on here in, in Ukraine. And, and, you know, there are two different Ukraines uh, in this respect. One that is interesting or not interesting for its own uh, citizen, uh, citizens and, you know, um, a Ukraine that, that is uh, relevant or irrelevant for international community. If I say that in the past years Ukrainian culture is experiencing its renaissance, mm -hmm. maybe comparable to the 1920s, we know this epoch uh, which is which is very prominent for Ukrainian avant-garde. If I say that mm, probably it's another renaissance, what would you say today? Um, I, w I actually wanted to say exactly the same because we, uh, the Ukrainian Institute, like to refer to today's developments in uh, the Ukrainian culture um, as the uh, as the new 1920s because um, Ukraine has experienced uh, probably incomparable but equally um, fundamental uh, political and social change um, in the uh, you know late uh, 1910s uh, and onwards and of course after the 2013 revolution of dignity uh, which has radically transformed Ukrainian cultural, political and social landscape. And that's why these two periods in our cultural history um, can be compared and can, and can be sort of um, aligned together. And it's true to say that, uh, you know, over the past six years, with everything that has been going on in Ukraine, uh, the artistic and cultural and creative community at large um, has tried to has been trying to respond to those change through artistic practice, uh, through new um, uh, you know structural funding models, through new programs, through passion and um, appetite for international cooperation, and that ev all that combined indeed can be referred to as a cultural renaissance, or at least we would like to. To think so. We see, uh, I would say it's a boom of Ukrainian movie making, uh, 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 in Ukrainian filmmaking, not only the fiction films, but also the doc documentaries. We see many young directors 
of documentary films going around the world and and winning prizes prizes i mean irina tilik or alisa kovalenko or or nadia parfan and uh, and, and all the others and it's 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 a fantastic trend but we also see a new ukrainian cinema uh, sometimes good comedies sometimes fantastically good films about the war do you see this kind of also renaissance of filmmaking yes absolutely and i think documentary films in particular are one of today's ukraine uh, ukraine's cultural strengths and uh, you know by programming the ukrainian institute work we uh, we f- we focus on several art forms but documentary films in particular and you were right to mention Irina Tsilik's award at uh, Sundance Film Festival uh, but um, uh, also uh, we see that international audiences in some countries particularly in the Netherlands for example where documentary films are quite a big thing um, are very willing to know more about Ukraine through documentaries as something that reflects you know what's happening here and now um, but that doesn't really um renaissance that doesn't really re- also it also relates to uh, feature films to um uh, films like uh, atlantis that uh, won um a, a prime award at the venice international film festival uh, and also a film um uh, my thoughts are silent which we uh, supported at a few international film festivals which also tell great sometimes uh, difficult and challenging stories about the country but they do it in a very honest and very um illustrative way I'd and they say. present ukrainian reality that you cannot really confuse with and with anything else right <laughs> yes. so it's it's a real and genuine genuine ukrainian reality it's not a it's not some you know copies copy making from american aesthetics or russian aesthetics or whatever else right that's that's right and uh, they're not constructed to project a very a, a particular image of the country that's what i like about them because um you know i i don't think cultural diplomacy is about public relations for a country it's not about projecting a very uh, carefully constructed and positively looking image of a country it's it's about telling honest stories it's about telling stories of doubt uh, of difficulty of challenge of um, hesitation of happiness of course Uh, but you know instruments and possibilities of cultural relations are infinite in this respect because you can use a variety of artistic medium media and um a variety of instruments that are available to you to tell um not to just tell stories but to initiate conversations it's not about just one way um projection of a country internationally do you see also the renaissance of interest to the old ukrainian cinema like there is a a prominent institution called dovzhenko center which is named after alexander dovzhenko who is maybe in the world is is seen as a russian cinema maker but actually is ukrainian cinema maker uh we also can mention ziga vertov who is who filmed his famous uh a man with a camera in in kiev including in kiev do you see that re- renewed interest to that uh, tradition yes absolutely not just uh, towards film but also literature uh, visual art um, and other uh, art forms that uh, you know have been um, have have been produced in 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 um, in this territory in this country for uh, you know the past century and it's i think um, it's a, it's a matter of a wider 
issue that Ukraine actually tries today's contemporary Ukraine tries to reinterpret its past uh, and its cultural um, heritage in a contemporary, modern and very discursive way. Um, because it's not, not a secret that many artistic and cultural phenomena um, of Ukraine are more or better known uh, as belonging to other countries, to other places, uh, due to fluency of um, cultural interactions, due to mobility, due to, of course, colonial um, uh, policies of uh, the Russian Empire and the Soviet Union. Uh, I think you know a lot of Ukrainians felt that they were stripped away of their cultural heritage, and the Dozhenko Center's efforts to um, to to make that great, fantastic cultural heritage of the 20s and the 30s, 1920s, 1930s, um, um, vocal again and relevant again are, are most commendable. And let's not forget that many films of that epoch are basically either lost or are considered to be lost. And it's a huge, uh, huge process of uh, finding this, these films. And one of the exhibitions, recent exhibitions in the Vrenko Center was called Lost and Found, as far as I remember. Yes. Right? Uh, but uh, let's also turn to visual arts. I mean, you mentioned this trend of kind of a modernizing Ukrainian tradition. That's a very interesting thing modernizing even postmodernizing i think this is something the, the sparkling which goes between uh, the the tradition and, and and modernity right and that's that's the most interesting maybe in in such cultural fields as as ukraine what can you say about visual arts um i would start with again with definitions because uh, modernization is probably not the right word for this because uh, you know, the uh, the early 20th century and the mid 20th century uh, practices in visual arts were were modern. That's that's either modernist or or uh, continuing the modernist tradition. So in a way, it, it is the epoch of modernity. And uh, and what what we are trying, to, I think, to do now, or not just we, but other institutions and people in Ukraine and elsewhere, is to is to look back and look uh, at a at a wider. Uh, context in which these works emerged, not just in a cultural context, but also political and social and economic. Uh, and um, and a lot of efforts are being made to make these works sound very relevant today. And they indeed are. Um, and one of the projects that I love most, which the Ukrainian Institute did uh, last year, was a project um, related to uh, monumental mosaics, Ukrainian mosaics of the um, uh, Soviet uh, period of the 1970s and 80s, which were created by some of the you know greatest um, artists of that time who were confined in the limits of the totalitarian um, um, you know boundaries that were imposed on them and 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 that uh, and that art form um, which can be seen in probably most Ukrainian cities in public spaces, was one of the few ways for them to express their uh, inner artistic intentions without actually uh, breaking the limits of what was uh, allowed and was not. And this project was we tried to uh, bring the public's attention back to those uh, mosaics which are now being destroyed or neglected or uh, stigmatized as part of the so-called decommunization uh, processes that we have been experiencing in Ukraine over the past few years and make those works um, look relevant through modern technologies. So what we did, we uh, worked with a photographer who captured those 
uh, mosaics all over Ukraine, and we worked with a digital uh, production uh, company to create, uh, to animate them, and to make a uh, story-driven um, sort of short uh, film that is um, that can be projected onto various uh, uh, places in in you know in public places, or to it, it lends itself to uh, to kind of a showstopper. Um, um, I don't know events or uh, or activities. That's a fantastic thing. I've seen it on on YouTube. The the projection that you made in Vienna, mm-hmm. and uh, I advise our listeners to search it. Basically, I think we we, we will post the link on Ukraine World website on this uh, podcast so that you can watch it. It's an, indeed incredible. I mean, I understand that it's going along the trends of uh, contemporary visual arts. It's very popular now to project those fantastic images on, on buildings, but it's indeed very important that it is based on on something that was real in, in Ukrainian in Ukrainian uh, culture. And, and uh, as far as I understand, you intend to go to other cities as well in Europe with this, uh, right? With this uh, project. Uh, we would love to. And now we are in conversation with the Ukrainian embassy in uh, France uh, to probably do a re-editing um, of this film and uh, public projection in Paris um, either in September or October, but that's still to be confirmed. That's a great idea. <laughs> but let me come back to the issue that you, you mentioned, very important issue, is that how? what is our relation to the Soviet culture and to Soviet past? Because on the one hand, there is decommunization process. We, we understand, I don't know if you agree with me, but I personally understand the political importance of it, right? So we need to reflect upon it. It's, it's really, I mean, dramatic when in a country you have uh, monuments to uh, Lenin or to, to, to those people who are guilty of mass killings or when you have streets named after people that are basically responsible for Holodomor or... Uh, uh, officers of NKVD or Cheka, whatever. But on the other hand, we cannot do it so. We cannot do it so massively, and we we should, I think, understand that there's a crisis in Ukrainian identity. Uh, there are some people that tend to believe that all the 70 years of culture are basically a tabula rasa, and we need to re- erase it. And if we do that, it's basically we are going, making the same mistake as often do, just erasing part of our past. How to deal with that? I think it's very wrong to erase something without actually thinking about what you're erasing. Um, I am in principle, of course, uh, supporting the uh, the underlying uh, uh, idea behind the decommunization uh, process which is um, which is to stop idolizing and stop admiring um, tra- very tragic phenomena of, of our past and kind of erasing that legacy from from our everyday life like the like the monuments and the and the um, uh, street names but that cannot be done without actually proper, properly reflecting on that. It cannot be done to monuments of cultural and artistic importance. It cannot be done without fundamental discussions in, uh, uh, you know, across the society about what the Soviet um, Union uh, and the Soviet project actually was. Because, of course, it was a totalitarian regime that destroyed millions of people. Uh, but at the same time, it was a modernization project for Ukraine, and we cannot ignore that reality. That um, that at, at at a huge cost, of course, it it brought along other uh, 
uh, you know, changes to the Ukrainian society. And, and we cannot ignore that in, in the visual, not so much in the literary sphere, because if we take literature or philosophy, well, that's, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that was like vehicles of ideology. But if you take visual things, uh, there, there were many niches when good culture and good art could, could find its place. You mentioned mosaics, but we can ma- mention also paintings, which we consider, but to be socialist realism, but there, there are many good things, right? And alongside the official Soviet realism, of course, there there existed an unofficial underground uh, modernist uh, art, which is only now being discovered uh, through Ukrainian museum collections or through research projects that has existed in parallel to uh, to the you know the the officially approved forms of uh, of art, and and uh, we can speak about Ukrainian modernist music that was born uh, after the Second World War in the sixties and the seventies. And um, you, you mean know, people like Silvestro, like Silvestro, like Skorik, uh, Letoshinsky, and other composers that are not known internationally. And we did some projects with with their works. And we're amazed by the reaction of international orchestras and conductors who said, look, this is fantastic, but we have never heard about these people and these, um, these works, which, is a, which, which makes Ukraine absent from, the, uh, from a huge part of the international cultural map. Let and, me co- uh, come back to music. It's very important, but just to, to, to kind of wrap up the visual arts part of it, uh, I think what, what I have the impression that there is a lot of things in museums which are not exposed and uh, like art critics art specialists tell me that and it's basically something that we still need to discover so in the undergrounds of the museums there are still treasures do you agree with that yes because only between i think 3 to 5% of um, of an average museum collection in ukraine is on display, is on display permanently or temporarily, and uh, over ninety percent of these works have never been either taken out of the uh, arc of the museum uh, storage, or has never have never been researched or catalogued. Uh, and a lot of um, museum directors who I've spoken to acknowledge this as a, as a major problem that we don't even know um, what heritage and what um, you know cultural heritage we actually have in our um, in our at our disposal. Um, and you know, which which again brings us to another question of works of art that were displaced uh, throughout the 20th century, who were taken from Ukraine or to Ukraine in the course of the Second World War, or um, uh, later on by the uh, by the Soviet government, uh, and w- which which is a, a major subject of of international discussion at the moment. Uh, let me come back to music. It's it's a very important. I mean, I'm uh, also amateur musician, so um, uh, and I'm very interested in music. And it's it's true that Ukrainian music is still like a visual arts as well. Under uh, it's it's a project. It's a big task to discover it. You mentioned Letoshinsky. You mentioned uh, Silvestrov. Well, we can mention even early examples like. Uh, uh, like composers on on the brink between 18th and 19th century, or like Bortnyansky, which is in many collections is seen as a Russian composer, but who actually so in recent in Ukrainian Baroque culture. Uh, you make your institution makes lots of concerts, right, of Ukrainian symphonic uh, music. How people react to it, and what is interesting in in those concerts and those plays. 
Um, in our in our projects, we tend to focus on um, uh, contemporary classical music. So we would we we try to explore more, um, you know, the modernist tradition in Ukrainian music and um, the uh, the generations that uh, that came after that, uh, the living composers of today, who I don't think get. Um, the attention they deserve from the public institutions or through public funding structures. Um, I think this is also very important to support because, yes, looking back at the at the classical music uh, and the classical musical tra tradition is important, but I think it's the it's the newer tradition that can make Ukraine more relevant in the international music um, community. Um, but also we um, had a few looks back at the Baroque uh, era of Ukrainian music that links uh, it to uh, the Austrian musical music tradition or the um, Western European uh, at large. And, you know, there are lots of names who are unknown here in the country and who through cultural diplomacy you know, become more visible and and they are very important to show this continuity of, and interlinkage of, of um, uh, tradition and that uh, that tabula rasa situation to make sure that the tabula rasa situation doesn't uh, doesn't really occur on the agenda because there was continuity and there is continuity and it's very important to trace that back. Contemporary music, but not symphonic, uh, pop music, jazz music is also booming in Ukraine, thanks partially to, I think, a very clever step by the previous governments to introduce quotas on, on radio, for example. And now, well, each radio station is kind of a, has the commitment to broadcast Ukrainian contemporary music. And we suddenly realized how many good musicians we have and how many interesting projects, again, on the brink, on the this merge between tradition and, and modernity. We have Dacha Bracha, we have Onuka, we have so many other things. How do you estimate this de development? Mm -hmm. um, we th This year we actually planned a few projects with uh, an emerging uh, generation of Ukrainian um, musicians uh, who have at, who are at the beginning of their careers, but who we believe have very strong potential for international touring and um, and representation of Ukraine abroad. Um, this this you know booming music scene that you mentioned um, has a as a you know the flip coin has the other side to to, to it because uh, after the uh, war between Ukraine and Russia had started. The Ukrainian music market has experienced a huge um, fundamental stress because a lot of musicians have been extensively touring around Russia, have had contracts with uh, Russian labels, and in a, you know overnight they had to re-divert um, uh, their efforts towards the Western European and uh, North American markets to actually survive and to uh, you know continue developing their careers. And and that's that stress I think has caused a lot of creativity in terms of uh, emergence of new uh, talents, emergence of new bands and new musicians. And as it, for an example, on um, uh, on the tenth of May in Amsterdam, we're doing a big Ukrainian festival that has a very strong music component to it, and we are presenting ten Ukrainian bands uh, of you know uh, I would say not underground bands, but uh, very emerging 
new wave of Ukrainian um, mainstream music. Uh, and some of them have never actually performed um, internationally. And we're hoping to um, to give them this chance of, you know, being better known internationally, but also probably to, which, which can lead to new contracts and new, um, you know, business opportunities uh, for them, which is equally important. That's great because uh, a big trauma for me, it's a dependency of Ukrainian pop culture and the Russian pop culture which is uh, which is kind of a sad thing but it, it was it seems that it's now more in the past because uh, as as far as i see the ukrainian singers ukrainian performers they are much more now oriented towards the global trends but let me now talk about your institution briefly you had the ukrainian institute a, a, the ukrainian cultural diplomacy institution but what what we can notice is that in the past years you finally have kind of a new ukrainian public institutions like ukrainian cultural fund ukrainian institute ukrainian book institute maybe there will be other institutions that finally the state starts to support Ukrainian culture, which was not the case before, it's strangely enough. Do you, do you see the progress in this field? I can definitely see the progress through, you know, establishment of the new institutions and uh, much more attention from the public sector towards uh, investing in culture and supporting culture. Um, I would still say that these institutions are, um, are a bit fragile in terms of the political changes that Ukraine has, you know, has been experienced ever since. Um, so it probably will take some time to, um, to uh, honestly say that these new institutions are sustainable enough uh, to, to carry on. But we are very hopeful. Um, uh, what is true that um, for the first time, I think, uh, the public sector has started developing longer-term policies, strategies, institutional strategies, and think about not just how, what we do, but why we do it, and, and, and actually how we are getting there. And that's a massive change, uh, which has happened really in, in probably three or four years, or in three years, uh, that uh, in other countries, I think, has taken more longer to, um, to, to affect. I think you're you're all doing a fantastic job and, and I wish you good luck and all of us good luck. What's your hopes for the next three, five years? What's your dreams? <laughs> my personal hopes or my professional hopes? No, professional. I mean what, <laughs> what 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 Ukrainian cultural diplomacy will look like according to your dreams and uh what 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 the world will know about Ukrainian culture? I think our ambition is to uh, and my personal ambition is to make cultural diplomacy work not as a uh, public relations agency for Ukraine, but uh, as a function that will help the Ukrainians better understand themselves uh, and uh, rethink their personal and collective identities, but also make other countries in the world understand us better. Um, there are a lot of prejudice about Ukraine. There are a lot of bad news about Ukraine. Um, I take that. But I think it's through through culture that this very honest conversation can happen between peoples of different nations about who they are, about the, the world we live, about the common challenges we have. And we like to you know, build every single project that we do on conversations, on discoveries, 
on um, on emotions and on on a Ukraine that is unknown and thus interesting and thus very exciting to learn about. And I think that can be a very rewarding journey. Thank you so much for this very interesting conversation. We had Volodymyr Sheiko, who is the Director General of Ukrainian Institute, the Ukrainian uh, Cultural Diplomacy Institution, public institution. This was Ukraine World, a podcast uh, which uh, which is telling the international audiences about the developments in Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. Stay with us. Mm-hmm.